I don't play golf for the simple reason you can't eat golf balls. I fish. You can eat fish. Apparently, on some courses, if you lose your golf ball, which means you suck at golf, if you lose your golf ball, you have a certain time limit to go and find it. How hard you look expresses the value that you put on what you're looking for. But if it was my wife's engagement ring, now I would take a chainsaw and I'd cut through the stairs. Jesus is telling stories in Luke chapter 15. And they're quite strange stories. Like we looked at one last week, story of the lost sheep. And here's another one. It's the lost chapter, Luke chapter 15, three stories about things that are lost. Two short ones, one long one. This is the second of the short ones. Listen to this. Luke chapter 15, verse 8 to the end of verse 10. So there's only two verses, but it's a tiny story. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search diligently until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite a strange story, really. Like, why do you get this stuff? I, it's, it's a strange story. And, and again, we got to ask the question, why is he telling these stories? And it's important that we don't forget. And so I want to remind us, of why he tells the stories. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners, all the cheats and the stealers and, and people who weren't living very well, were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and the religious people muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, and then Jesus tells these stories. Now, you've got to remember, and it's important to realise, because it tells you right here, the religious people weren't annoyed that Jesus was teaching the cheats and the rip-off merchants and the disreputable people. They weren't annoyed that he was teaching them because they did that all the time too. What they were annoyed about is that he welcomed them. <laughs> he welcomed all the people that most people would push away. And, and and it's funny because, like, we have a hard time doing that, right? We we walk around people, the, the, the people walk around on the streets. We, we don't find it easy to welcome sometimes the people, but Jesus seemed to welcome these people. And it's annoyed the religious law keepers. And when Jesus was teaching them and hanging out with them, his welcoming in included eating with them. Now, now, this is important for us because we don't get this. 
In our cultures, we'll eat with anybody. But in their culture, to eat with somebody meant that, that you actually identified with them and that there was some sort of common ground between you. So when Jesus sat down and he ate with these people, he, he was identifying, deliberately identifying with them and saying, look, there's common ground between us. Now, just think about who this is. This is Jesus. This is the supreme intellect of the whole universe. This is the person that Genesis talks about who was there at the foundation of the world when it was being created. And yet he is sitting down with cheats and disreputable people saying, look, there's common ground between us. I just, that's a blow your mind moment for me. And it's an incredibly encouraging moment too. Because when I approach God, in, in, when I'm trying to pray or when I'm trying to read my Bible or I'm trying to worship, like sometimes it, it just feels like mm, God's way out there. And, but like here we have this picture of how God would act if he was on the earth, because that's exactly who Jesus is, God on the earth. And he's saying, look, I might be God, but I'm approachable. And more than that, I welcome you. And it ticks off the religious people. I sort of like that a little bit, actually. And, and Jesus doesn't care. He, he's actually sitting down there and, and he's talking to them and identifying with them. And as he's teaching them and as he's telling these stories, he's not focusing on laws and regulations or national identity. He's not talking about who you're related to or what your national lineage is. He's not asking you which rules you've kept or which regulations you've observed. He's talking about heart issues, heart issues. And that's what these stories are about, heart issues. Now, we're going to come back to that a little bit later on because one of these stories is an odd one out. So these stories about heart issues and this one, the first one deals with the heart of the lost sheep, right? Um, wanted to be found, lost in its own truth, all that stuff. But even in that first story, it's not the sheep that does the heavy lifting, right? It's the shepherd. The shepherd comes along and rescues the sheep and carries it home. So the shepherd does the heavy lifting. Now this story, this deals with the motive of the searcher, right? Now, now, we've just read this really, really quite quickly, um, but, but this one deals with the motive of the searcher. Now, as we look at this, you'll understand what, why I say that so strongly, because it really does. It deals with the searcher, this, um, which is a wonderful thing for me. I think it's incredible. So let's look at what the searcher does, All right? Um, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. You ever lost something? Like it just, it, like it's it, like you lose something and, and you misplace it. Um, uh, you, you can't find it. You go to the place where it normally is and it's not there. So you're totally lost. It's the place you all, always put it and, and it bothers you. It, it 
bothers me when I go to look for something, I can't find it and it's not there. And then I don't know where on earth it may be because that's the place it's supposed to be. And I search and search and search and I'm disquieted inside. You know that feeling, just disquieted. Then when I find it, even if it's not incredibly valuable, but I've just lost it, it's, it's like peace returns right inside, no matter what the value of the thing. Now, this, this is what happens. If they lose, she loses one of the coins, does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully or diligently until she finds it? Now, this is that description. She lights a lamp. We, we go and flick a light switch on to get a bit of, she goes, lights a taper or lights something, puts it on fire. She goes to an oil lamp uh, and, she, and she, she turns up the wick and then she trims the wick if it's dirty and then she lights it and she carries that lamp around. It's not like switching on a light. This is a process just to bring light to the search. Now think about that. When God is searching, he brings light to the process. And it's not just a quick process. Often it takes a while. And the preparation of the light that shines to help with the search takes time. And, and this woman takes time to search. She lights a lamp and then sweeps the house. I don't know... The last time that I swept the house when I was looking for my car keys. I don't know the last time I swept the house when I was looking for my wallet. I don't know the last time I swept the house when I was looking for, for something that I'd put down that I couldn't find, like an SD card or, or something like that. I can't remember sweeping the house. But this is a thorough, detailed search. And then it says this, she searches until she finds it. This is, this is a non-ending search. This is an ongoing search. It's not like there's a time that I'll look for a few minutes. Like It's not like if you're playing golf. I don't play golf for the simple reason you can't eat golf balls. I fish. You can eat fish. But if you apparently on some courses, if you lose your golf ball, which means you suck at golf, if you lose your golf ball, you have a certain time limit to go and find it. And then you have to then you have to keep keep going. Otherwise, there's a massive great lineup of people who, who wanted to play. So it's not like a, a search for a golf ball. It, this is not a time limit search. This is a search that's that's only going to end when she finds what she's looking for. And so, it's a diligent search. There's preparation. And and she's going to stop only when she finds what she's looking for. Now. Men and women have many great differences. In our house, some of those differences between men and women are exemplified by how we search for things. Sometimes those differences aren't just men and women. Sometimes they're age differences, like with your kids. When they're upstairs and they can't find something that they're going to, what they want to wear, and they shout down and say, Mom, I can't find my fill in the blank. And what does mum say? Have you looked for it? Yeah, I've looked everywhere. And then what does she say? If I come up there and I find it. And what does that make the kid do? Generally, it makes them look more. They look harder. But there's no need to say that in this story because this is a diligent 
search. She's searching and searching and searching. And the search is only going to end when she finds what she's looking for. Now, there's a couple of wonderful things about this, the diligence of this search. Because it says a few things and, and it implies a few things. I, I dropped a guitar pick, like a little plastic, it's nylon, a nylon plectrum guitar pick. I dropped it as I was walking up the stairs to my apartment. And, and it fell through the wooden stairs. And, and it fell, and, it, and it's, and it's newish, and it's white, and it's dark, so I can see it. It's actually a glow-in-the-dark pick. So I can see it. If I walk up the stairs and I get right close to the crack and I look through the cracks, I can see it. It's right there. But you see, there's a concrete wall here, and there's the foundation of the house on this side, so I can't physically get to it. Now, I think, yeah, I can see it. Yeah, I can see it. And it annoys me sometimes when I walk up the stairs at night, and I can just see it glowing. I think, that's my pick, my pick down there. But I think it's no biggie. Just let it go. But if it was my wife's engagement ring, now I would take a chainsaw, and I'd cut through the stairs. Or... I might, because they're not my stairs, I might try and unscrew them and unbolt them first and get in there to try and rescue the engagement ring. Why? Because of the value of the thing that I've lost. And sometimes the diligence of the search reflects the value that the searcher places on the object that's lost. I, I was in my car the other day driving down the Sea to Sky Highway and I was listening to Radio 2 talk show and uh, they were interviewing a guy and it was when Bitcoin had just gone crazy a few weeks back and the prices were through the roof. And this guy had three hundred million dollars, not three hundred dollars, three hundred million. That's a lot of zeros. All right. And three hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin. The problem was that he'd misplaced his password to access his account. Now he knew that he'd written it down because it was a bunch of symbols and series of numbers and letters and all those things that his generated passwords are. So he knew he'd written it down and he'd put it somewhere in his house and he couldn't find it. Couldn't. I'm thinking for $300 million, I'm taking that house to pieces with a pair of tweezers, like $300 million. How hard have you looked? You know what I mean? Because how hard you look expresses the value that you put on what you're looking for. Right? I wouldn't be able to sleep. This woman in this story searches. And she obviously searches when it's dark too because she's lighting a lamp. She searches until she finds what she's looking for. There's no, ah, it'll turn up. There's no, ah, oh, it's okay, it's not really worth very much. To her, it's worth the search. Now remember, remember, these stories are not literal. You, you, you don't take them literal. And it's important to remember that in this one. Because the searcher here is an ab absent-minded lady who misplaces a coin. Now, if you want to take this literally... That means that God is an absent-minded female. Now, there's nothing wrong with being female. There's nothing wrong with being absent-minded. But there is something wrong with being absent-minded if you're the Lord of the cosmos. 
because misplacing a coin is one thing. Misplacing a comet, not such a good thing. You don't misplace comets when they're hurtling through the universe at thousands and thousands of miles an hour that are big enough to wipe out whole planets. You don't misplace them. So God is not an absent-minded person who loses coins. And God isn't gendered. He's genderless. He's bigger than male. He's bigger than female. He's the God of the universe. In fact, it takes male and female to express what he is. So he's not man, he's not woman. We express him and as in a male term because that's culturally how they did it. It's culturally how we do it too. And she searches diligently. Now, like I said before, one of these three things, one of these three things, you've got a sheep, you've got a lost coin, and you've got a lost, we call it the parable of the lost son. It's, it's a parable of the lost sons, really. One of them's the odd one out. Sheep, lost coin, lost son. One of them's the odd one out. Lost sheep, lost coin, parable of the lost sons. One of them is the odd one out. Why? Let's ask a question. Does the sheep know it's lost? Yeah, it does. Can it do anything about it? No. Does the son know he's lost? Hmm. Yeah, we'll come to that next week. Does the coin know it's lost? No. Why? Because it's a coin. You can run over it in a truck and it doesn't feel anything. You hit a sheep in a truck, it knows. Don't hit a human in a truck. If you run over a, a coin in a truck, it's still a coin. It might be scratched a bit, but it doesn't know any different. In fact, the coin doesn't even know it's lost, but it doesn't even know it's found. And then you think, well, well, why tell a story about it then? How does it make any sense to tell a story about lostness with an inanimate object. Surely the object has to know that it's lost. Surely it has to know that it's found. I had a, I had a friend called Steve. Years ago, he drove a Mercedes. He was the only person I knew who owned a Mercedes. Drove a Mercedes, he was a businessman and he sold Massive insurance policies, life insurance policies and and um, like um, retirement insurance funds and stuff like that. He, he sold them to big businesses and big business people. And he would drive around in his Mercedes. I don't know how you're driving a Mercedes. I'm driving around his Mercedes and he'd be looking. And if, and if he saw a really posh car and a fancy car coming out of a restaurant and coming out of an office building, um, he would follow it. And the person who was driving that car became his target. Now, not in a creepy way or a sinister way, but he, he would follow the car and see where it goes, went, see where it goes. And, and he would and he would see what business it would pull up outside. And he would see what if they if they parked in a director's uh, car park or a CEO's uh, car parking space. And then he would find out who owned the car. And then he, he would research the company and the, and the person would become their target. He, they were the target of his search and they didn't even know it. You know, I was the target of God's search. I didn't even know it. You can be the target of God's search today and not even know it. 
not even know you're lost. And he searches for us. Now, like I said right at the beginning, Jesus is talking about a heart issue. And the heart issue here is the heart of the searcher. But it's not just about the woman in the story. I think, I believe, that Jesus wants us to have the heart of the searcher that's represented in this story, that we place value on lost human beings. That we place value on the way that we search for and interact with people who are lost. Uh, that, that we reach out for, that we pursue, that we care for, that we diligently search for people who are lost. I wonder who we should be diligently searching for. I wonder what lamps we should light to help us in our search for lost people. Now you may identify more with the sheep than you do with the woman in this, in this story. You, you may identify more with the sheep and the shepherd than you do with the woman or the lost coin. But that's why there's more than one story. You see, because for some of us, this story is really, really, really important. And my heart needs to be in tune with what God is trying to tell me. Like, Phil, come on, mate, there's lost people there. Search for them, look for them. Some of them don't even know that they're lost. And you might be listening this to, to this today and you, you might be able to picture the face of somebody that's lost, lost to you, maybe. A, a loved one, a, um, a, 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 a sibling, a... a family member who's lost so lost that they don't even know they're lost and God's heart for the lost person is to search for them and find them and that's the heart of the searcher revealed in this story teaching religious people that lost people matter <laughs> there's nobody that doesn't matter in this story this isn't gender-based, it's not race-based, it's lostness-based. Search for the... And then when they find them, they throw a party. Love that. Love that. We need more parties in the church. We need more parties in our lives right now. We, we need to celebrate when people are lost. So I pray that as we read this story, as we look at this story, open your Bible and reread it for yourself, that God will impress upon us the incredible preciousness of the lost people in our lives. And that we would have the heart of God, who's the searcher, to diligently search for people who are lost and then celebrate when they're found. Hey, bless you. Next week, have a, have a read through the story of the lost son in Luke chapter 15. You might take a couple of weeks to look at that. It's a massive story and it's full of great stuff. Might be able to do it in one, who knows. Bless you, stay safe, and thanks for listening. Well, moms, today is your day. It's a day to say thank you for loving us, caring for us, and guiding us. It's a day to recognize all you do and all you are to us, your perfect, wonderful, amazing children. Thanks for all the early mornings and for taking care of the things we take for granted. Thanks for never giving up on us, even when we stress you out. 
Thanks for making sure we have what we need and for giving us your heart even when you're sick and tired. Thanks for working hard even when we're a handful and for loving us unconditionally when our attitude is anything but lovable. You're our everything, Mom, and we'd be a mess without you. Today, we thank God for the wonderful gift of you. Happy Mother's Day.
Thank you.